I'm glad to be in the service. I'm glad to be in the service. I'm glad to be in the service. One more time. The saints of old would say, he didn't have to let me live. Somebody ought to give him praise right through here. While you're still on your feet, I would be remiss if I went back to Detroit without giving reverence and deference where it's due. And I want to pause today and just chime in with everybody else to say congratulations to Pastor and Lady Johnson. Come on. Come on, y'all can do better than that. That's the pastor of Eastern Star. Come on. And the first lady of our church. Come on. God bless you. You may be seated. The fact that I'm here is an answer to a prayer. Almost 20 years ago when I came in contact with this ministry and this man, I discovered that the same God of Indiana is the same God that was in Detroit. And I thank God for his mentoring, not just what he does here, because he's a prototype for every preacher to follow. But I thank God what he has personally meant to me, to my ministry. And I have to admit publicly, as I say privately, however tall I stand in this life, I know it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of Pastor Jeffrey Johnson and the Eastern Star Church. Can y'all help me tell them thank you again? He has the intellect, he has the substance, he has the inspiration, he has the soul, he has the practicality to make that complicated book we call the Bible easily reduced so that it can be easily understood by those of us that show up in this room on a weekly basis. And every preacher, if they don't want to admit it, every preacher that has come behind this preacher got to admit they got a little bit of Jeffrey Johnson in them. He has been imitated, but he can't be duplicated. There's only one Pastor Jeffrey Johnson. <laughs> I don't know how many times I'll say, where did he get that from that Bible? I didn't, I didn't see how he got that interpretation but thank God for his presence. And then Jonathan Nelson, oh my God, man. Stop doing people like that, man. They're gonna arrest you for that. Stop, stop doing that. That's why you ain't coming back to Detroit, man, acting like that. That's disrespectful. <laughs> ain't he a gift to the body of Christ? Amen. And then y'all already, already got the best Sherry in the house. I mean, come on, come on. That, that's it right there. She been doing that for two, when I was young, you was doing that. So we, you've been doing that a long time. <laughs> you've been doing that a long time. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, I just got a word from Matthew 10 that says in verse 16 in the NIV translation of the Bible, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. Verse 17 says of Matthew chapter 10, you will be handed over to local council and flogged in the synagogues. 
On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Matthew 10 and 21 says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parent and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 23 says, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to talk for just the next few minutes on discipling wolves. How to disciple a wolf. Discipling wolves. I cannot help as I stand here today to remember and recall my childhood experience. I was not a bad child, I was just a curious child. And many times I would find myself involved in things that I had no business participating in. One afternoon, somehow or another, while I was being playful in the bathroom in the upper level of the house, I found myself locked in the bathroom. I was banging on the door saying, let me out, let me out. My sister came to the door, she opened the door, and she saw her little brother sitting on the floor. She said, what's wrong with you? What you crying for? I said, because I was locked in and I couldn't get out. She said, Solomon, you couldn't have been locked in. I said, how you know? She said, because the door don't have a lock on it. <laughs> Initially, when I thought about that, I found it to be very humorous. But the more I pondered, the more I realized that that is the predicament and the place that many of us sitting in this service find ourselves in. We're knocking on the door of our circumstances. It can be financial, it can be social, it can be professional, it can be vocational. We're knocking on the door saying, let me out, let me out. But I'm here to suggest that nothing can imprison you and incarcerate you when you are clear about who you are and whose you are. When I come to Matthew chapter 10, that appears to be with that thread that Jesus has used to wove together the fabric of this particular passage. Because Matthew chapter 10 is an old well for me. No matter how many times you go to an old well, you can get a fresh drink of water. And I got to admit that it is a passage that I have preached and taught from previously, and it is one uh, that when I look over the span of my ministry and I look at my messages, is one that I have not preached previously, but also have taught and tutored from frequently. But when I looked at it recently, I could not help but to get a fresh revelation because the Bible is a book of continuous revelation. The more you read, the more you see. The more you seek God's power, the more God reveals his presence. And when I looked in Matthew chapter 10, I already knew that in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4, it gives us the calling 
of the disciples, Jesus calling his disciples. It gives us in those verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10, if you still got your Bible, it gives us the chronicling of the disciples' names. It also gives us the designation and it gives us the delegation of divine authority because whenever God commands us and calls us to do something, he'll give us the resources and the wherewithal to carry it out. It's what my mother used to do when she would come in the house and say, boy, go to the store and get me a loaf of bread. And I would say, Ma, I ain't got no money. She said, boy, don't you know that if I'm sending you to the store, evidently I'm going to give you the money. And somebody need to be reminded, even at this afternoon service, when God calls you, he equips you. And when he tells you to do something, somebody know he'll give you what you need in order to get it done. And so in verses 1 through 4, that's all he's doing. He's empowering his disciples to go out to be equipped and enabled to carry out what he has assigned. But then when you come to verses 5 through verses 15, he says, not only am I calling you, I'm commissioning you. And he's not just commissioning them, he's telling them what to do. He's doing it with limitations and restriction because he's commissioning and assigning them based on the culture and based on the time. And that's one of the things that all of us have to be able to do. We have to be able to discern the times. We gotta be like the sons of Issachar. You gotta be able to discern time because the times will tell you what you need to do. But then when you come to the calling and the commission, he gets to verse 16 through verse 42, and he says, now that you understand, I called you. And just like Jesus called his disciples, he called Pastor Jeffrey Johnson, he called those of us that are sitting in this room. And once you know that you've been called, he lets us know that you need to be aware that when I call you, some people are gonna hate you. That just because I called you, there's gonna be some people who don't like you. I know, I know what you've been saying all of your life, to know you is to love you. But let me tell you something. When God calls you, there's people who just gonna hate you. And they'll hate you just because of your association and affiliation. I know you're sitting in this service saying, Pastor, I thought that once I got close to Christ that I would be inoculated from trouble. But I'm here to suggest to you, once you make up your mind, you're going to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to become a magnet for trouble. Because there's some things the devil don't even think about doing to you until you make up your mind that you're coming after and you following Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that I don't want you caught off guard because you're going to be like sheep among wolves. He says, but I want you to know that although you're among wolves, you need to know that as a disciple, you ought to have some discipline. That although you're among wolves, he is saying, you got to come to the realization that your proclamation is going to come with persecution. That your obligation and your opportunities are going to come with opposition. He is saying that you and I as disciples, although he sends us out among wolves, we have got to learn how to have discipline of discipleship. We got to have a disciplined demeanor. Just because you're among wolves, you don't act like the wolf. You don't lie on the liar. 
You don't backbite the backbiter. You got to learn how to wait on a righteous remedy and not suspend your disciplined discipleship for the immediacy of the moment. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I came to tell somebody, he may not come when you want him to come. But the record is, do I got some help up in here? He'll show up. He'll show up on time. But many of us get frustrated because God don't move when we want him to. I remember growing up, I was always the youngest and the smallest in the house. And when my nephew, when my cousins and my relatives would come over to the house, uh, we would always get into a fight. They would always jump on me because I was the youngest and the smallest. And I remember they got the best of me one day. I went to my auntie. I said, auntie, they hit me. She said, don't worry about the nephew. I'm going to get them. I said, no, 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 auntie. They hit me. She said, don't worry about it. I'm going to get them. I said, auntie, they hit me. She said, I'm going to get them. But what she didn't realize is that I was trying to tell her, I don't want you to get them when you get home. I want you to beat them now. I want you to beat them so I can see it. And that's what some of us, just go on and tell the truth. You don't want God to wait. Come on, talk to me, Eastern Star. You want God to deal with your enemy now. Get him now, Lord, <laughs> so I can see it. But he says, that's not the demeanor of a disciple. You got to know justice is his. And he sets the time. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep, if you still got that Bible, among wolves. That means that if you understand that he's talking to you as sheep, that means that if he's sending you out, you ought not get comfortable in these sanctified sheep stalls called the church. Because so many people want to just come to a room like this and have their miserable spots massaged so they can engage in emotional release. But he ain't just coming here so you can brag and boast that you've been blessed. You, he, he puts you in this place under a word like this so that you will understand that he didn't bless you just to be blessed. He blessed you to turn around and be a blessing to somebody else. Because you can't sit in here and just shout about get ready. It's your time. It's your turn. You next in line to get blessed. You come into a room like this because this place is a catalyst. It's a point of instigation and initiation. So we can move with dignity into the streets to help somebody know that our God is still in the blessing business. And just like he's been good to us, do I got somebody that know you ought to pass that goodness on to somebody else? He says, I'm sending you out like sheep. And if I'm sending you out like sheep, that means I'm sending you out into hostile territory. And that's where sheep do their best work in hostile territory. And that may explain why God got you on the job he got you. Why God got you in the family he got you in. Why God got you in the relationship he got you in. Because you're trying to figure out why God got you here. Let me help you with something this afternoon. It ain't to conform. Because so many times when God put us in dark places, we become like the people he put us in a place with. But your responsibility ain't to start acting like other people. It's not to come form and start talking and walking like them. He puts you in that place so that you can transform them. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now this is a contradiction because if you know anything about sheepology, you already know 
that at the time of this particular text, when a foal was being led by the sheep, what they would do many times is find a nice area in the rural part of wherever they were, and they would put a fence around the sheep so that the enemy and the adversary couldn't get to the sheep. And then at night, they would even lay their cells, their bodies at the gate so that the prey couldn't get to the sheep without coming through them. But this is a contradiction. He ain't, he ain't talking about wolves getting to the sheep. He's talking about taking a sheep and sending them out to hang out with the wolf. And I'm trying to figure out why are you sending me to hang around wolves? He says, because you need to understand duality in life. You need to understand that the reason I'm sending you out is because you got to learn how to be wise like a snake, but you got to learn how to be unmixed and innocent like a dove. And somebody says, well, pastor, well, which should I be? Should I be a snake or should I be a dove? No, ain't no choice. You don't pick one or the other, and you ought to not be more of one than the other. That, maybe that's what's wrong in too many churches. You got too many people with too much snake in them. And then you got too many people who ain't got enough dove in them. But you can't just have one or the other. You got to have both. He, he's not saying be so much of a snake, be so cunning and so slick that you have no character or you have no conviction. But he says what you got to learn how to do is you got to be as shrewd as a snake because you don't want to be so slippery that you slither your way out of everything, that you don't stand for nothing. But he said you ought to be enough of a snake to know not to let people pull you in everything. Have you noticed some people in church just get pulled in all kind of mess? I mean, you, sometimes you got to ask people, what do you have to do with that? How did you get involved in that? Why is your name in that? Because they such a snake. They always wrapped up in something that ain't got nothing to do with them. And you got to be cautious and careful where you place your energy. You got to be cautious and careful where you place your efficacy and your assets. Because if you're so busy doing stuff that God ain't assigned you to do, you ain't going to have time or energy to do what, what the Lord wants you to get done. You got to be not just like a snake, but you got to be like a dove. You, you got to know when to be cautious and when to give in to compulsion. You got to know when to fight and you got to know when to take flight. You, you got to be, you got to be cautious, but also you got to know when you need to give in to your compulsion. He says, you got to have duality, but not only do you got to have duality, he says, I need to give you a description of where your persecution gonna come from because it's gonna come from multiple levels. If you have not closed your Bible, he says, let me tell you where it's coming from. He says, what you need to understand, you're gonna get it from the local council, verse 17. That's the government. He said, you're gonna get it from the synagogues in verse 17. That's church. And then if you keep on reading verse 21, he starts talking about brothers will betray brothers. 
and fathers his children and children will rebel against their parents. That's family. So he says, let me tell you what persecution is going to come from. Sometime it's going to come from government, and all of us know moments where the church and the government have been in conflict. Uh, because Jesus has already told us, render unto Caesar what belongs unto Caesar and render unto God what belongs unto God. So there are moments when the church is in conflict with the world and all of us ought to have an intolerance for injustice. So when, wherever injustice raises head, we ought to want to do something about it. So all of us know that. But the problem I got is that you got too many people in church that's more afraid of the government than they are God. Sitting in church ain't never tired in your life. Ain't never gave always tipping and ain't never tired. Listen, and pay your taxes on time. Cause you, and, and I hear what you say, my pastor, I mean, hey, hey, you don't mess with Uncle Sam. Well, you think you ought to mess with Daddy God? I mean, talk to, I need you to talk to me for a moment. Let, Explain this to me. You think your uncle is better than your daddy? Come on, your, come on, talk to me while you're looking at me. I mean, all, all, all your uncle can do is put you in jail. God can send you to hell. Plus put you to sleep and you'll never wake up. Somebody ought to talk to me. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Sometimes it's in the world, but sometimes it's in church. I wish I could say, I don't know about Eastern Star, but I got to admit, in Detroit, I tell the new members, I teach the new members class, and I told the new members the other day, I said, I wish I could tell you that since you become a part of Triumph Church, that it ain't nothing but sheep in the church. But I had to warn them, we got some wolves that hang around here. We, that, that, everybody in church ain't saying bye. <laughs> you got some people in the, in the church that'll eat you alive. They'll shout one minute and cuss you out the next. They, they, they'll come to the altar, get slain in the Holy Ghost, and won't speak to you after the service has ended. And he says, let me let you in on something. You, you, you got to know that you got some wolves in the body of Christ that will eat you alive. That's what he's trying to lead them in, and he's tried to tell them. He's saying, once that I've commanded you and commissioned you, and I've assigned you and given you power to do it, you got to be like a snake, but you also got to be like a dove. And you need to understand where your tax is coming from. It's going to come sometimes from the government, but sometimes it's going to come from people in church. We used to have a day where civility was in church, where we respected things in church. Now we have no reverence for the church, no reverence for the Word of God. When we used to come to church with Mama on Sunday morning, Mama would stop us at the door and say, it was six of us. She would say, y'all got to go to the bathroom? And we would say, no. Do y'all got to go to the bathroom? Mm-mm. You sure y'all ain't got to go to the bathroom? Mm-mm. She would say, go in there anyway. Because when we get in church, ain't going to be when revving up their preaching, ain't going to be no jumping up and sitting down and jumping up and sitting down. And we used to tell that to kids. Now we need to tell that to grown folk. We need to say to some grown folk before they come into church, do you need to use the restroom? 
Well, if, even if you don't, go in there and use it anyway. Because when Reverend Johnson get up there preaching, it ought to not be no jumping up and sitting down, jumping up and sitting down. We ought to have reverence and respect for the Word of God. This ain't no editorial. This ain't no commentation that we doing on Sunday morning. This ain't like the produce section at the grocery store where you go in and pick what fruit you want and leave the other just sitting there. This is the Word of God. And you ought not treat this like you treat everything else because you don't know nothing else that's like the Word of God. Do I got somebody that know there's power in the Word, there's healing in the Word, there's the victory in the Word? Do I got somebody that can shout because you came for the Word? He says, let me tell you something. Sometimes that persecution come from the church. Sometimes it come from the government. But then sometimes it come from the family. Sometimes it come from people that's been assigned to be your kin and your friend. And at the end of the day, you got to understand that sometimes people get so close to you, they can't sense and see what God is trying to do for you. He says, I'm sending you out among wolves, and I'm going to fix it so, if you have not closed your Bible, he says, I'm going to fix it so that you're going to be in the presence of kings and governors and Gentiles. He says, I'm going to put you in a seat of power, because I don't want you to just think you're going through pain without a purpose. I'm positioning you so that you can use the experience you went through to be a blessing to somebody else. See, God, I don't know about you, but God didn't just bring me a long way. God has brought me a show enough long way. Matter of fact, he's done more for me than I ever thought he would do for me. And when he sit me in the seat of power, and many times I get these ecumenical invitations, and they want to ask me, Pastor Kenlock, be considerate and respectful of the other people that's at the table, uh, and don't mention the name Jesus. I said, what you don't realize, I'm a Trojan horse for Jesus. Anytime I get into a room, Jesus is coming out of me. As good as he's been to me, do I got anybody that know as many ways as he made for you? Somebody ought to holler his name. You ought not be ashamed to praise his name. Somebody know there's healing in the name of Jesus. There's victory in the name of Jesus. And don't you dare ask me why I keep calling his name. Because the more I call it, do I got some help up in here? The better I feel. Sometime it come, he says, I'm going to put you in the seat of power so you can use your persecution for a purpose. And you ain't got to worry about what to say because I'm going to tell you what to say. Sometime your persecution going to be overt, it's going to be open, and sometime it's going to be covert. He says, but don't worry about it. He says, because what I want you to know is in verse 22 and verse 23, before I shut it down, he said in verse 22 and 23, what you need is not just duality and the spirit of discernment and have a description of where and who's going to persecute you. But he says, finally, what you need to know is that you need a dependence on me. And somebody's trying to figure out, Pastor, how do I get along and decipher these wolves? You got to depend on God. You can't do it by yourself because you can't dictate and determine what people do to you. But you can dictate and determine how you're going to respond and how you're going to react. Listen, you can't stop trouble from troubling you. 
but you can fix it so that the trouble don't trouble you the way it troubles everybody else around you. Somebody, I'm sitting here, I, 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 I'm trying to keep my composure, but I'm sitting, as I stand here today, I'm looking at somebody. By looking at you, folk can't tell what you're going through because they're trying to figure out how do you look the way you do with all that you're going through. You got to tell them, I can't stop what I'm going through and I can't stop what people are doing to me, but I ain't got to react and respond the way everybody do. Do I got somebody that's learned how to shout hallelujah? Here it is. You got to, first of all, if you're going to depend on God, you got to put him first. He says in verse 22 and 23, he says, that's how you're going to learn how to stand firm. You got to put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Somebody sitting here talking about, you know what, Pastor? Uh, I got a plan A and I got a plan B, and then God is plan C. If nothing else don't work out, then God plan C. Let me tell you something. God ought to not be plan B and C. God ought to be plan A. Because if you make God first, do I got some help that everything else in your life will fall? Put God first in your marriage. Put God first in raising your children. Put God first in everything you do and everything else will fall into place. He says, put God first if you're going to depend on God. And you got to finish the fight. You got to finish. Church, let me tell you this before y'all hang up. Let, 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 let me tell you this. Let me tell you this before you hang up. You better remember this. You got to finish. I'm not impressed with people that know how to start. I'm impressed with people that know how to finish. Remember, remember what, remember what he's telling, remember what he's telling them to do. Cause you remember, and I know you already know this, this is an Eastern document. And so what we're trying to do is take an Eastern document. Cause some people literally read the Bible and they read the Bible, but they only know that's only one interpretation of the Bible. So they'll read the Bible and they'll take, take the Bible literally to mean what it say. But like your pastor, one passage, uh, like I got Bible and software, this one passage, I look at it a number of ways, more than 20 different ways and 20 different translations just to get this little old message. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to take a complex document reduced so that we can easily understand it. And what he is saying here in this particular passage, he's saying what you need to understand is you got to learn how to depend on God. And when you learn how to depend on God and put God first, see, that's how you learn how to stand firm, by putting God first and finishing. Listen, there are a whole lot of people know how to start. Four out of 10 pastors just quit, just walk away from ministry. But what you got to remember is the race ain't given to the swift or to the strong, but it's given to the one that endureth to the end. My mama taught me that. My mama over the past two years, last year this time, I watched them close that box on my mother. And when she was getting sick and she refused any more treatment, I said, Ma, let them, let them do what they want to do. She said, I'm tired of being in a, a house that's falling apart. I said, Ma, I ain't ready to live in a world without my, without my mother. She said, ain't you a preacher? At some point, you got to believe what you preach. And let me tell you what bothered me before I get out of here. 
What bothered me was this. I grew up poor. We ain't never had nothing. No running water. Stayed in abandoned houses at times. Things got so bad. No window. No door. We used to have to get a bucket and go to my neighbor's house just to get water to bathe in the bath. I remember going to school with a hole in the sole of my shoes, keeping my shoe on the floor. Didn't even have decent underclothing to put on. This wasn't in a third world country. This was on the west side of Detroit. And I remember praying, asking God, Lord, please one day let me experience a life different than the way I'm experiencing it right now. And God answered my prayer. He answered my prayer in a way that words are not enough for me to say. And just when I got to a place where I was able to give my mother the things that many times she was never able to give me, I just forgot, I just got to a place where I'm like, you know what, she'll never be compensated for all the good she did. I saw her leave the side without getting all of her, I thought her just reward. But then God had to remind me the other day. God had to tell me, boy, whatever she didn't get on this side, she gonna be rewarded on the other side. That's what I came to tell Pastor and Lady J, whatever you don't get on this side, God's gonna bless you on the other side. And let me tell you something, he won't just bless you on the other side. He'll bless the people related to you. He'll bless the people connected to you. Let me tell you something. He'll let your obedience and the reward of your obedience spill over to your children. I don't know about y'all, but the only reason I'm standing here today is because I'm living on the blessing of my mama's obedience. Whatever she didn't get, God let it spill over to her children. And somebody in here know God been good to you. God ain't just been good to you. God's been, I ain't the only one that got that testimony. Do I got anybody that know that God has been good to you? Well, let me ask a question and see if you can react and respond the right way. Because if you just stand there and don't respond to this question, then I know I'm in the wrong church. So let me ask you this question and I'm going to see if I'm in the right church. Has God done anything for you that you could not have done for yourself? If God has been good to you, you ought to stand on your feet and nudge somebody and tell them if you ain't got nothing to shout about, shout because he's been good to me. Touch somebody and tell them if you ain't got nothing to holler for, holler because he made a way for me. If you ain't got nothing to praise him for, praise him because he opened doors for me. Do I got anybody that know he's been good to you? If he's done some little things for you, give him a little shout. If he's done some average things for you, give him an average shout. But if he's done some crazy things for you, open your mouth. I said open your mouth and give him a crazy praise. If he put food on your table, shout about that. If he put clothes on your back, shout about that. If he made your enemies, Leave you alone. Shout about that. If you don't look like what you've been through, 
shout about that? Where my shout is at this afternoon? While you standing on your feet, turn around one time. I got to get out of here. But while you're standing on your feet, I said turn around one time and tell that devil every time I turn around. He keep on blessing me. Has he been good to you? Has he made a way for you? Did he rock you to sleep last night? Did he wake you up this morning? Did he give you joy? 